cliffcentral.com. Okay, I didn't realize this, but uh, Chris Puppers is actually, he's got the same birthday as me. Hey, August. August 26th. How's hey. that, huh? All legends are born. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you've done a hell of a lot more than I had done at your age. <laughs> how, how old were you when you first got into the council in, in Ekurulen? I mean, Etequini. Uh, 2016. How old, how old was then? 27? Wow. That's pretty so impressive. That, I think I was the youngest, the youngest uh, ward you council were. at the time, yeah. You absolutely were. Well, uh, lots of people have been asking for you. Um, our audience is very picky, and they, they don't want to hear from lots of people. So I hear, <laughs> oh, no, we don't want this idiot. Uh, we don't want that one. Uh, people have been just com- campaigning effectively. And these are not even people in your municipality or even in the province that you're now running for premier. And these are people across the country are just blown away by what an anomaly you are. You shouldn't be, but you are. So, Pumi, you start. I know you've got lots to ask him, and you can even yeah, because I'm super excited to have another Zulu in the studio. Start with what you said to me when I got here about my height. (laughs) Let's start with that. People are going to see this, Lalela. People are going to see this for themselves every time. People come and visit us here in the studio. Everybody is always taller than me. I'm so happy to not only have another Zulu in the studio, but also to have somebody shorter than me in the studio. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And I did have to think about this. So am I going to am I going to exclude Gareth so by I having have, a, a, a properly? <laughs> properly. Because I was just like, yeah, because Because truly, I think for me, you went viral with with that big campaign. Um, in Zulu, and everyone was like, "Who's this white guy speaking Zulu?" And I was like, "Abantabazo, go to Enatali, Wonkumuntu speaks Zulu." Actually, but it is still very impressive. Thank you. It is still very impressive, and when we saw you going um, to to represent your party um, when Umdanaga Pindangene passed, and how you represented the party for me was also very much about the person that you are and your plug-in and understanding of the people around you and an absolute respect for the people, which is probably why you have been able to activate so much support in the community that you operate in. How did you get yourself into that mindset to be able to deliver in that way? I think it's realizing that, I mean, it's one thing to speak a language. Many South Africans speak m- multiple languages, but immersed in that language or a language is a culture and a history and an understanding of how to do things. Um, and the more you immerse yourself in that language or that culture, the more you understand the nuances of how things work. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, you don't always have to agree with something. Um, mm. but to to understand it and appreciate it for for what it is uh, and that that's across all councils and all languages uh, and I think that's where where it sort of started to to have an appreciation for the other the different uh, something that's not my own mm. and then to try and and figure out my space where do I fit in because you know there's there's a thin line between cultural appropriation and trying too hard and, you know, overly, yeah, people, people hate a fake yeah, and overly politically mm. correct. And yeah. there's all these things that, you know, you, you want to navigate that authentically. I think that's what Pumi's saying about you. And, and again, I use the word anomaly. I hope you're not offended by that. But the fact is there are too many people in this country who pander, right? They pander and particularly in politics, they, when they're with this group of people, they'll put on that accent or they'll talk about these things, try to be all like cool to that audience. And I'm not just talking about politicians because there are also people in the media who do this. And then they're in a totally different space with a totally different audience and it's almost like you're dealing with a different person. And there's something about actually immersing yourself in a culture, taking people seriously, treating them with respect and not patronizing them which we still haven't evolved out of in many places. You've evolved out of that for whatever reason, for good, for bad, for ugly. I think a lot of people love it because they can see there's authenticity going on there. And it's, it goes beyond like service delivery or 
fighting corruption or any of those things that we regard as big issues, when people see someone that they think is a no-bullshit person, they're immediately thrilled, even if they disagree with everything that person stands for. It's one of the reasons Julius is so popular. He, he strikes people as a no-bullshit person on certain issues. Certainly, he's very uh, forthright. We were just talking to Sully Moying mm. and Pumi was saying, you know, that you know where he stands mm. on certain things. He's not going to budge in order to pander to a crowd or to please people. You just got into trouble in Kenya. <laughs> the same things. Now, you, you are by no means the same kind of political animal that Julius is, but there's a no bullshit quality to you. You go out into the community, you talk to people, you level with them, you tell them what's possible, you tell them what isn't, you listen to them most especially, and then you come back with information that you can make a difference with. That's certainly the impression I get. That's why people like you. You think I'm wrong? I'd, I'd, I'd have to humble myself and say, or oh, I appreciate That's what a, you said. Yeah, it's a compliment. Um, I, I think m maybe one of the things that, uh, this will probably be my political downfall somewhere along the line, is that if you're not honest with people about the situation that you face, government conversations that you have to have around t difficult discussions, then it, it bites you later on. Uh, you know, you, you, who are you actually representing? What are you trying to achieve? what information are you giving people to make a decision, to make their own decision? So if I come to a community and lie to them about a road going to be fixed, if the road's not going to be fixed, say it's not going to be fixed and explain why. And if people don't like it, they don't like it. If they think someone else can do a better job, allow them that opportunity. And the same for points of view on different issues. Um, and maybe to my naivety, I believe that people are mostly rational and we'll think through those sorts of things. So, oh, okay, thank you for telling us what we need to hear. We will go back and digest that the way that we need to. And if we feel that you are not delivering or you're dishonest, then we'll punish you however we need to punish you, through the ballot box or on social mm. media, however people do it. But if they adjudicate you fairly on what you've given them, then most of the time people will give you the benefit of the doubt for that honesty and the, the authenticity of what you're trying to achieve. Somebody in the comments... Mm. Said we must protect you because you live in the land here in Gabi. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm um, and explain that we, to people like me who, who in Gabi. Well, I know what that is, but other people. Might <laughs> no, we, it, it'll be clear. And you are in a province that is incredibly volatile, extremely contested, and over the past couple of years, we have seen a deep rise in political killings. Where you are and where you operate, how do you navigate that very murky political climate? In terms of safety, I, I don't navigate it. I think if you try and navigate through that, then you you'll end up compromising on something, whether it is telling, speaking to people or going to places or to holding people accountable. So Pilisiva will will be my first witness to say that she shouts at me every day about my, oh, my safety. I thought you were going to say she's your safety officer. <laughs> Undercover. <laughs> well ninja. done, Pili. Um, she shouts at me every day about, about my, my security. But it's, it's just the reality, I guess. I mean, that's the, that's the space that we've, we've chosen to work in um, and we have to, to navigate that. Not that it's right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that what happens in KZN must happen forever. We need to fight that. But that's the space that we operate in. It's sad. Um, I, I want to just jump to something that occurred to me when I heard you were standing for Premier. Um, here you are running your municipality well. You seem to be very popular there and, and people are happy. They probably would be happy to re-elect you in that position. Um, whenever we find someone who's a rising star either in the opposition parties or in the ANC they just, in the rugby. they just promote those people like immediately and and sometimes you have other work you still want to do and the party is desperate to advance someone who's popular now is it a good idea and I'm asking strategy questions here is it a good idea for the DA to proffer you as a candidate as Premier of KwaZulu-Natal now while you're doing such a good job at the level you're at, are you happy about that? Or do you feel that this is them going for gold where they are unlikely to win? Maybe you have a different opinion on that and wasting you in a position like they did this with Soli in, in Tswane and then in Gauteng. They seem to be talking about Solim other Simang, people. Solim Simang, not Solim Mueng. Simang, yeah. <laughs> um, and 
and and they've spoken about other people in the Western Cape, uh, even in the in the Johannesburg metro. You know, it seems that as soon as someone catches fire, they just want to get them to president. And sometimes that's not that's a waste of their potential. How do you feel about that? I, I agree with the comment about it's that sometimes people go too quickly. Um, I think that we we face a sort of dilemma in in KZN in that a lot of what I need in my municipality relies on a functional provincial government. So we're, we're not a metro, so we don't mm. perform a lot of the functions. We, we need a functional provincial government in small municipalities. And if it's not functional, or if at least there's not pe- someone batting for the agenda that you're trying to achieve, then a lot of what you do is going to take 10, 15, 20 years longer to get there, whether it's roads or community safety or whatever it might be. So I think on one side, yes, I agree with you to say, well, there's still a lot of work to be done, and I enjoy my job. I really enjoy being being mayor. It's the coal face of service delivery, and that's you can actually change people's lives. It's not like being a minister. Yeah. And, but at the same time, I know that if I want to make a real impact, or if we want to make a real impact in Umgeni at least, but obviously with the broader picture of KZN, then we also need to control the levels of power at a provincial level. But so what are your, I mean, your actual chances of winning this are very slim. No, I disagree. Really? Um, I, 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 there won't be a, a, a outright majority. I know that. I'm not going out there for 50%. I'd be, I mean, that's crazy. Okay. But, but you reckon you could hammer together a coalition that could take you over the halfway mark? I, I reckon we could. Um, I, and I mean, our, our internal polling is probably biased towards us. But when you look mm. at independent polling, that's where it's heading. So I think the who was it the social social research foundation, mm-hmm. their last statistics had us at forty four percent and um, the ANC's coalition at forty six percent, so ours being us and the IFP, um, mm. and it, it, I mean that's that's close, yeah. uh, and and there's still a lot of election ahead of us. Um, when are you, you look, g- at are you going to campaign in parts of? Very rural northern KwaZulu Natal for this. Absolutely, that's where you are. That's where I've been spending most of my time. Um, places like Ndwe, Dwe, Kokstad, um, out in Elanskop, out in rural rural areas. Uh, that's where we've been, and the reception's actually been it's it's been fantastic. Um, we were in Ndwe, Dwe last weekend, and organically, sorry, let me lose Elanskop, out in Peter Maritzburg, and organically people came. Um, you know, and that's that's. You're not say strange for the DA in those sorts of areas, but unusual. Usually we have to bring people out. And here you had a tent on a Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, that was full. Yeah, was but, been, but that's fine. Hmm. So there's there's I mean that's that's the whole point of a campaign is that you, you put an appealing candidate forward. You don't want to put a dud forward. So and your background is in town planning. So your educational background is in that environment. How and and you have excelled and and this is what we know, is that when you have somebody in an environment where they have the educational background as well as a particular leaning and love for something, they are more likely to excel. Going into a provincial setting, do you feel as confident about going into that setting with all of those levers and all of the the people around you that you're going to have to corral um, as you have been in the in the local level. So I think local government is a lot harder than the provincial government. Yeah. Um, ministers hide be- or MECs hide behind speeches and thousands of staff and you know yeah. in the municipality people want their mayor or their councillor. Yeah. And and they know where to find you. And they know where to find you. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's that's why the service delivery protests happen there, even if it's yeah. nothing to do with us. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the nitty gritty things that affect daily life, um, from the post office not working, even if it's not your job, to potholes, to unemployment, to what it's it's in your face, and it's moving and it's fast and it's intricate and it's day by day. Provincial government's much bigger. It's long term planning. It's strategy. It's big interventions. Um, so I think it's much easier from that point of view. Obviously, it's a much bigger beast. I mean, it's 145 billion rand budget and thousands of staff, many of them you don't actually need. Uh, so it's a much bigger beast. The politics of provincial government, I think, is more difficult because you've got unions and you've got Especially interest Especially in that province. Yeah. Man, that's, how do the other parties respond to what you're doing in Umgeni at the moment? And how do they respond to you? So to what we are doing, it's actually interesting. We're having a discussion that you can see a change in the way that local government has started to communicate in KZN. 
in particularly Peter Maritzburg or Msunduzi, which is our next door neighbor, uh, the capital city. Uh, they, they almost mirror what we do now. Uh, and you see the, the same programs that we do start to roll out in other municipalities. So it's Great. quite interesting, which the, is good. The, the people are the benefactors. And that's, that's the thing. It's different. And that's what we say is that we've only ever had two types of government in KZN. He has a third and we're forcing people to change. There's an article um, that the IFP had to respond to the other day, for example, and this is how politics changes, to say that traditionally they've never put forward a premier candidate. They've always elected the premier candidate for the IFP after the actual election. Mm. Now they're being forced to consider putting someone forward before the election because of the changing nature of what we are doing in the province to say, well, if we don't put a premier candidate forward, it looks like we're endorsing Chris Pappas of another political party. Mm. So all of these things start to change the, the dynamic of, of KZN. Speaking of the dynamic of KZN, um, it's the second biggest province um, in South Africa. By population? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was the biggest. Or is that now Gauteng? It depends. It depends on what time of the year. Oh. Not December when everybody goes home. <laughs> <laughs> then it is the biggest. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Right? Okay. What, what do you, what are, for you, the top two um, problems that need to be tackled in that province. Yeah, if you become premier tomorrow, what's uh, what's first on the agenda and second on the agenda? Good question. So I'll, can I answer it in two parts? So the first to say, I mean, there's there's a lot of issues and we all know them, healthcare, education. We all know the macro big issues. Um, but I think there are some underlying things that could make some significant difference in, in the province. We, got, we need to sort out all of those and, and you know, there's there's ways to do that. But I think there's um, the, f the first is small and secondary towns. They've collapsed in KZN, which has done a few things. It's forced a lot of people into big cities like Peter Maritzburg, Durban, and Richards Bay, and those cities can't cope anymore. Um, there's no economic activity happening in the in the rural areas, um, in the small towns where there used to be farming co-ops and timber and tourism and all these sorts of things that used to sustain those economies. So we have to revive the the outerlying towns and secondary cities in our province because okay. this is not sustainable. So that's the first one. Um, and then the second one is um, around, I mean, that's linked to unemployment and infrastructure and all of that. The second one is around water. We have, uh, you think load shedding is bad. We have a, a, a water problem in KZN that is, it's, it's going to be a huge, huge problem. It is already. Um, and that affects a lot of things. It affects our, our hospitals. It affects industry it affects just everyday life it affects people going to the beach we have a huge water and sanitation problem so at a macro level unemployment is the biggest biggest problem underneath that is healthcare and education but in terms of two two specific niche areas that i'd like to focus on is small and secondary town rehabilitation mm. uh, and that includes the running of municipalities you know Cooperative governance have a lot of power over dysfunctional municipalities. Mm. And then the second and there is water and sanitation. And a lot of those dysfunctional municipalities. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then the second is water and sanitation. Okay, I'm glad you brought up water and sanitation because <clears throat> I, I'm, I haven't been back to Durban. I used to be a regular visitor to KZN. In fact, I, I own a place Aren't there. Aren't you a surfer? No. Uh. But, I, but I own a place <laughs> there and I love going there. I love the people. I love the climate. I love the, 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 the place itself is just magnificent, right? But it's become a dump. Uh, the city of Itequini is just a dump. Uh, Umslanga is a dump. The, you can't go to the beaches. There's, there's, as you say, these water issues that are everywhere, it's power nice. issues. The, it just feels like the whole place is falling to pieces and it's retrograde. It is no longer a province that I would send overseas visitors to. I'm not proud of it. I, don't, I want out. I want to get rid of every, everything and anything I've got there and I don't want to visit it again. And I don't think I'm the only one. For people who live there, it's a lot worse mm. because they can't go anywhere. They don't necessarily have an out. I mean, we're not all thinking of semigrating to the Western Cape, but Gauteng stuff still mostly works. And I feel like I'm putting a very low bar on this. But it does seem like in the last five, maybe six years, KZN is an unfair, uh, an, an unfair number of, of, of real tragedies and disasters befall it, from flooding to riots to political instability, these are all things that are um, that are that fall onto the laps of politicians and have to be solved. And they're big problems. They're big social problems. They're big infrastructural problems. Why would why would you want to 
get stuck into this. It's just such an ugly place to get involved in politics. And, and there's so many practical things that need just people who can do stuff, like we were talking to Sally about, to fix. Is it fixable for starters? And what's your vision for how that's going to, to work out? There are parts of it that are fixable and there's parts of it that are not. We have, we have to be honest with the reality of what actually exists on the ground. I'll tell you a very short story. I went to a Shembe church gathering, <clears throat> thousands of people. And uh, the one, I guess he was a priest, stood, stood up um, and spoke. And before his introduction was, I used to, be, I used to travel through Eteguini to get to where I needed to for my, um, for my religious work. I used to get out in the central taxi rank at Warwick Avenue in central Durban. Uh, and it used to be spotless, central taxi, taxi rank. He says, today, I can't get can't out that taxi there. without wearing gumboots. I can't walk there. Mm. And, I mean, that's the reality. So that's just a, a sort of vivid image coming from the re- the residents and users. And you're saying this in response to politicians who are, who yeah. are visiting. But I, I study town planning because I, I, that's what I like. Uh, I like the, the built environment, the, the human development. Um, and with that does come problems. Um, many of the ones that you've mentioned are either self-inflicted or have been made worse because of our response to them, like the billion rand that's gone missing in Eteguini to sort out the floods. I mean, that mm. could have done a lot of work. Uh, the riots, those were instiga- those are human problems. Those weren't environmental yeah. issues. So why I get stuck in it? Because I enjoy it. Uh, I, I enjoy, I mean, we are live, so I'm, I'm sure the people on your, they'll comment here, but that's fine. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes people annoy me because people want instant gratification or they want something instantly solved and they see the pothole outside their house mm. or they see yeah. the street lights outside their house and they forget that we live in a much bigger world with a, a lot of different moving parts. And that's what I like. I like to look at the moving parts and how they interplay with each other and how, how that works You're like a future. trauma surgeon then. <laughs> I, I become and, one. And, and, well, <laughs> Etequini needs a trauma yeah. surgeon. You need someone who can triage this problem. So you'll find out what the biggest issue is that is killing people, that is the most dangerous to their health and welfare. You'll sort that out first, and then you'll get to those potholes outside someone's And, t- and take people along with you. If you, can't, yeah. if you can't fix the pothole outside Auntie Jane's house, say, listen, Auntie Jane, the hospital's collapsing. There's thousands of people dying. We'll get to your pothole. And she'll, we under, haven't she'll forgot understand about you. unless exactly. she's a maniac. But don't yeah. tell Auntie Jane your problems don't matter to us. We're never going to talk to you. Uh, just pay your rates and mm. that's where government ends for you. It's it, People own government and that's where politicians get it wrong. We, I, I don't own mm. my municipality. You guys own government. You are the shareholders. So take the shareholders along with you. Communicate with them. Tell them how their business is doing. So you've decided to make a career out of politics and you started early on. You started at UP, I think, when you were in, in mm. university. You were right? born in Maritzburg, though. Born in Maritzburg, but everyone in KZN is born in Maritzburg. Um, and then, That's uh, not true. <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, but grew up, grew up in the farming areas. Okay. And you went to Pretoria, as Pumi said. Yeah. University. <clears throat> uh, actually, you played at uh, when you were still DJing back then <laughs> at, uh, at Loftus, I remember. Oh, really? That was <laughs> there, a thing? There, there, there was a... If only I'd known, I should have made friends with politicians <laughs> earlier on. I would, I would have been, uh, you know. Further down the line. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and, and you, you made a, you know, you, you started out in student politics. Initially started applying your trade at COPE and made a conscious decision to move parties because that party still exists. <clears throat> Looking back. <laughs> For whatever that's worth. <laughs> That party, either you leave or you get thrown out, as Gwili Madisha. Uh, for for <laughs> making those decisions, right? And what the differences have been for you in your new home, your new political home. How do you see your career in politics moving forward? So I, I don't come from a political background. Um, I went to university knowing that there were three political parties um, and that voting was a thing. Um, that was my extent of, of, of politics. Um, 
I got involved because friends of mine were involved in politics and it, and they were involved with the Cope student movement. So that's how I got involved in politics. Good old peer pressure. Good old peer pressure and Hatfield Square. Um, <coughs> Plus something to talk about when you're drinking. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you you then start to learn what you know. A political party is an institution. It's not just the leader who gives a speech or a crazy person who starts something and gets a thousand likes and think they're going to be president. You know that. Political parties are institutions. They are are mechanisms to channel debate and discussion and come up with policy, manage resources, and then translate that into a a, a mechanism for delivery. Um, and when I was in COPE, then you start to go to the internal meetings and all of those sorts of things, and you realize that that none of that existed. There was there was policies were just there because they had to be on paper. Um, the leaders were more interested in vying for power. That was the, it was the collapse of COPE during that time. So there was all these issues. And I said, well, this, if this is what politics is, then you know, I need to learn a bit more. So I started to read. You read the policies, you look at the history, you, okay, okay, our DA is also in government in the city of Cape Town. I didn't even know that at the time. Mm. Um, and you start to learn. Um, and I think many South Africans are, are not politically, I use the word cautiously, educated. No, we, don't, don't, we're don't, not be, don't educated. be cautious. We're not even politically, it. just we're, generally we're, 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 not very we're educated. We're politically ignorant and stupid to the point where we don't even know how the institutions that we're supposed to be responsible for how how they, how work. they work. Yeah, we don't know. So, so that's that's why. Then I, I you know, the the DA is the organisation that best represented my views, my vision. Um, it as a business model, it looked like it was working. Um, you cool. know. That's why I went that direction. Mm. And now that you've you've also been exposed to the international, um, because you've you've been to the State Department at their mayoral level, and you know you've been invited to quite a lot of international platforms too. Just in terms of the work that you've done within your party, within your municipality, and also being as young as you are, you also time one hundred. Yes, political leaders to watch. Th- that's quite a lot that you have been exposed to. What do you think South Africa could learn, not just your party, but all the parties, from the international exposure that you have had? Sure, a lot. <clears throat> um, so firstly, every, every country, every society has got problems. Um, so don't, don't look at South Africa as a microcosm and that the world's falling apart. Um, we have some really deep, serious problems that we need to resolve, but every country's got issues. That's yeah. the first thing. Um, the second thing is that the polarization in countries where there's over, where they're overly politically correct. What's the word? Woke. Yeah, woke. Um, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's horrible to see. Um, especially, uh, you know, in the United States. Um, it's it's really horrible to see countries that are overly politically correct to a point where you can't have a serious discussion about um, important issues that you need to resolve um, because everyone's too scared to hurt everyone else's feelings um, without actually critically engaging constructively. Uh, and that, and, they, and that. they're too busy dealing with that nonsense to actually deal with the practical problems. Exactly. So, so and that happens a lot um, in, in, it's in academia and institutions. Uh, I'm, I'm part of a course at an American university, and even the the, the way lecturers engage, you, you actually are, you can't critically engage because you're always dealing with the the subsurface stuff. The the it's yeah. So that's the second thing. The third is sort of the, the practical issues of making our country work. We we need to focus on some serious issues around um, public transport. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to focus on some serious issues around how we move goods and services around. Um, the model that we have is not going to sustain a big ec- modern economy. We are we are backward, in other words, in terms of trying to be a modern economy. Um, and those countries that are most functional have incredible public transport and goods management systems. So those are just some of the practical the practical issues. But one thing that um, I always come back to is is our warmth as people. Um, here you'll drive into, I mean, you drove in here this morning, uh, security guard greets you, you greet yeah. back, you have a chat, you know, like you've known each other for years. In America, 
pass each other. In France, you pass each other. In, you know, in, 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 in Britain, you actually actively ignore each other. They're it's trying to get out of the rain in Britain. <laughs> The cold. <laughs> no personality. So, but I, so I agree we, we with have you. that so warmth. We've, we've got that, yeah. yeah. And, and, it's, and it's a genuine hospitality and friendliness, which is impossible to make up if you don't have it. Yeah. Do you know, so it's getting, it's getting yeah. back to the, the border <laughs> gate and just the people being friendly. Yeah, or you, you. you land in, and they might be very slow and yeah, whatever, but sure. you land in Charles de Gaulle and it's, it's terrible. It's yeah. lines like sardines and everyone's, and it just feels so, hostile. So you mentioned small towns, uh, uh, and I'm sorry to get back to the practical, but I, there's, there's so much that This is your, this is to your theme today. Mm, sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Yeah, we love bear. it. So I was, for the first time ever, I drove through a place called Pongola, right, in northern Cuisine in Natal. Ages. It was last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Last year. But <clears throat> this is a place where... Like you get the feeling that this is a community. People are trying to get along. They're trying to make things work. They're trying to earn a living. They've got very real things that they do on a daily basis. These are not just, you know, you've got school kids in their uniform walking probably miles to get from wherever they live to wherever they're going to school. But they're going. They're doing it. You can see, and they look neat. And they are, they're proud of themselves. And they're there to learn. And then you drive through the town and you see like the roads are falling to pieces. And you see the municipal offices full of weeds and these are going to require more, more crisp purposes than you can do on your own. Do you believe that in each municipality there are enough people? Pumi always goes on about how we must stand up and be counted. And this is really a year where young people especially can take ownership of the country, mm. of the government, of service delivery and make a difference. Are there enough people who can do this stuff in just KwaZulu-Natal that you would have – a network of people you could rely on to enact what you've been doing in Umgeni in different places like Pongola? Yes, they are. Whether they would want to do it is a different question. Um, th there's a lot of capable people out there. There's a lot of passionate people out there, but the system hasn't been built or designed to enable them to achieve something. It is, it is incredibly difficult, Gareth, to, to get things done. And a lot of this is boring. It is. It is boring. It's looking um, at balance and sheets. And laborious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's talking to people who fix pipes. It's making sure that uh, water reservoirs are running properly. The, the, this is not glamorous work. No, It's no, not it's, ribbon cutting. It's, and that's what, like you say, it's not, not ribbon cutting. Although, yeah, many politicians do cut ribbons <laughs> on dirt roads. Have you been cutting things. ribbons? I think I might have cut one. <laughs> Just one. I think I might have cut one. <laughs> embarrassing. Ribbon. The other um, politicians nah, are horrified. No, I saw you tweeting about a road the other day. But, uh, well... So no, can I, can I, can yeah, I, yeah. I there's, there's one, as in, in some of those municipalities, um, no matter how efficiently you run government, they will never work with the current model that we have. So there, we have some, some serious uh, systemic issues around the way that we've modeled local government that needs to change. You can't go to a place like Indue, Due, Nongoma, even Pongola, where only 10% of the population is able to pay the municipality hmm. because of unemployment and historical issues and, and, and. So only 10% of the population uh, is paying the municipality for goods and services, yet the municipality needs to deliver to 100% of the people. Mm -hmm. So no matter how efficiently you spend that 10% of your revenue, it is almost impossible for you to deliver the scale of services and development that you need to. So, And then the corruption, all of that doesn't help either. No. So we, we need to, there needs to be a, f a fundamental change in the way that we fund and structure local government. We only get 9.3% of the national budget. And that includes the big metros. So in, in that 9.3 is the big metro. So it's, it's a lot. My, I, the Mgeni municipality, as an example, this year will make about a hundred million rand loss on electricity. The national government, that's because of connections and unemployment and all of those sorts of things, and then just some people stealing. But the national government only gives us about 92 million rand. They say, here's your, your allocation. So already I'm on a back foot trying to deliver services to a largely rural population. So it's difficult. And that's if there's no people that can take those lessons and translate them into some to changes in legislation and advocate for that at a, a national and provincial level, then we're going to perpetuate the cycle of small municipalities like Pongola collapsing. Hmm. Mm. And, and then what happens when they collapse? They, they fall under the provincial administration, it becomes which, which, which is also disastrous. There's, there's never been one municipality in KZN that has been placed under administration that comes out better than it was before. <laughs> Not one. <laughs> 
It's like sending them out of ICU into. No, but you know, you know what they do. No, but so, mm. so, it, so they took. Uh, we fired our municipal manager, um, Tembeke Kibane. She was when we got there, and she had collapsed the municipality. They took her and they made her the administrator in Mangawung Bloemfontein. So you take her from a whatever we are, grade four municipality with a budget of 550 million rand and all sorts of other issues. And you put her in a metro that is, has already has issues. That has Give her a, a chance to fuck more up. Exactly. You, you don't, you don't, and, and she's got a, 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 a charges laid against her at the police by the SIU for corruption in COVID-19. And you take this person, you say, hmm, it's, it's essentially a promotion. Go look after a metro. And that's what happens. It's like musical chairs. Failing upwards. Mm. The capital city has been under administration for three three terms in a row. Nothing's changed. I won't even talk about the administrator there, administrator there but then where yeah. he's fucked up. But you take, I, the, take the speaker of Eteguini Council, mm-hmm. who's a politician, mm-hmm. knows nothing about or, or very little about administration and governance and those sorts of things to fix a nine billion rand municipality. You take him and you make him the administrator. But I want to talk more about, you know, so you you think that there are people in all of these places that are very capable and could be part of the the, the positive change, but they wouldn't want to. Um, and I'm <clears throat> interested to know, because you did it, right, how to activate the interest of young people to the point where they are willing to apply to give their time and obviously not for free, but also apply their trades mm. in those environments. How do we how do we how do we spark that interest and keep it there? There's there's the there's the practical implementation, leave that part. Um, that's the everyday work that Gareth is talking about. It's not it's not nice to work in an environment where you're always corrupt, you're always useless, you're mm. always, no one wants to go to work like that. So no matter what, all politicians are the same, right? We're all mm. corrupt, we're all useless, we're all whatever. So it gets to a point where you say, you know what, I actually don't have to go to work every day and be called corrupt and useless. I don't have to go to and be the cause of everyone's suffering. And I think that's what we need to change, the stigma around public service. This is that you can actually go into public service and do good and make a difference. And ignore, you know, if it, if, if it sticks, then you probably are corrupt and you probably are useless. And that's why it hurts so much. But change, change that narrative. Non, non, yeah, it's not nice, you know, going through your Facebook and every second person calls you corrupt or useless or whatever just because you, because Gwede Mantashe is, you know, <laughs> like you put, you put in the same boat. Um, so we need, to cha- we need to change the stigma around, uh, around public service. Let's just talk about uh, about KwaZulu Natal because it is an interesting place, and, and and the Zulu Nation, whatever that entails or doesn't entail, because it depends on who you're talking to, whether it's cultural, Are we talking to you guys, whether it's political. No, I mean I care about this stuff because I care about history, and KZN has probably a more voluminous history mm. than almost any other province with. Maybe there's an exception in the Western Cape because it's just a little bit older in terms of recorded history. But there's there's more stuff going on in KZN and there's more of a tapestry of history than anywhere else. And we've got competing interests there in a way that is very, you know, 2024. It's, it's a super exciting place in some respects. I always say you've got this melting pot of Zulu culture, which is probably the most identifiable in South Africa. It's got, you know, depth. It's got stories. It's got language. It's got people with... with it's been institutionalized. It has been. And you've got, there's a king and there's a whole lot of stuff there that's very, very strong compared to anywhere else which feels watered down. Then you've got this Indian community, which is extraordinarily productive and inspiring and, and, and driven. And there's, there's, a, there's a feeling of, of real community there too. You've got... The, the white population of KZN, which is also fascinating and has a very different history to the rest of the country. They even sound different to the rest of us. And all of these people are pretty much trying to achieve the same thing in the province. They all want it to work. And they're not really interested in ideology as much as we think they are. 
not, you know, we went through that list earlier from the Daily Maverick of stuff people are concerned about. Very few of those things are ideological or cultural or political. So how are you going to appeal to that part of what people want without doing what inevitably happens in this country when politicians feel encumbered by something, is they resort to appealing to the Indians on this and the Zulus on that and uh, the, the, the whites on this, especially in the DA, where you know the DA has been called a white party and it's been called this and that and it's opposition and it doesn't really stand for anything. How do you attack that monster? So you, I, I use a, when, when I'm campaigning, I use a, an example. I say, uh, and it's usually to, to uh, white, we know there's a predominantly white audience because white people seem to be more concerned about what, thing, what something looks like as opposed to the black audiences that I speak to. So if I go into the rural areas, they don't really ask me about being white. But if I go to a white audience, people ask me about being white. So there's an, there's an example. Really? Yeah, it's, it's just happens like that. It's, 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 it's a strange thing. Hmm. So I usually use an example. I say, okay, well, if you go to, and this is maybe supported by what the Daily Maverick has, Maverick has done, is if you go to uh, a, koko in a, a black koko in a rural community and you say, give me a list of 10 things that are important for you for the future. Mm. And you go to a, um, a, a white lady in Mklanga, mm. wealthy, and you say, give me a list of 10 things that you think are important for the future. And then you compare those lists. Most of the things will be the same. Mm. Will be my children, uh, crime, safety, infrastructure, you know, will there be water in the taps? All those things yeah. that I'm sure you list in the, in, the, in the Daily Maverick. And maybe one or two will say race or culture or, you know, those sorts of things that usually are the bigger narrative in South Africa as opposed to practicalities. But to answer your question, what I'm doing or what we are doing in Umgeni every single day, that's our campaign. It's the practicalities of trying to turn around government. It's, there's other issues that we need to deal with, legacies of the past and uh, all sorts of things that we need to deal with. I mean, those aren't not important, but it's the practicalities. And I think that's, that's where the work that we're doing translates into a good campaign to say that we've been given two years in government. This is what we've managed to do. It is the things that you speak about every single day the bread and butter issues of walking out your house and walking into sewage or going on a potholed road. And it doesn't matter whether you live in an Indian community or a black community, whatever it is, mm. we all want our roads fixed. We all want the water to work. And let's because, focus but, on those but, things. But, but let's also be fair. The DA ties itself in knots about what it looks like. I think, I think we have more so in the I've brought this up past. with John Stenhazen and with a number of other people is that the DA is just perennially confused about whether it's projecting the right look to people. <laughs> they are right, Pumi. You know what I mean. Yo, people um, already think I hate the DA. Well, I ain't saying okay, no. Sh- yeah, sh- <laughs> <laughs> well, you should keep that quiet. But you understand. We're just saying you must be honest earlier. But you understand what I mean. Uh, and, yeah, and, 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 that grace is not extended and, to And there's, there's a thing. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is it's <clears> like the Watts because the Watts maybe are more interested in the cosmetic aspect of this than they should be. But that that is a it, it is a major pitfall for a party if they're going to be more obsessed with this stuff than the electorate are. I, I agree that I think I think we're moving away from that more. I mean, it always has to be a factor. I mean, you always have to to think about what you're saying and doing if you want to be a middle ground party. If you want to not take sides based on identity, then you do have to you do have to navigate that because you make a mistake and automatically you get shifted one way or the other. I think in the past we've we've made that mistake more than we're doing now to say, well, let's pander as you as you were yeah. saying. I think now we're more focused on you know the 30, 35 percent of the vote that we know we can get, and we don't pander so much to the extremes on either side. But it'll always be an issue that we have to contend with if we are truly trying to be a centrist organization that believes in diversity. Because that that believing in diversity means that we must take into consideration a wide diversity of views. We don't always have to agree with them, but we do have to consider that South Africa is has a lot of opinions and mm-hmm. has a lot of different types of people. And we can either be a Julius Malema and say, screw everyone else and just focus on a certain group on of people. Grievances. Or we can sound like, you know, a different extreme, a, a, a patriotic alliance type extreme and do that. Or we can say, let's have the tough conversations that we have to have in the middle. And sometimes that does mean, you know, what does that sound like? How do you how do you address the issue without, you know, pissing off 90% of the people in the country because there is a longer term vision? I think we have made, and I, I've, admittedly, we have made that mistake more so in the past where mm. we actually didn't know who we were. 
because we're in a yeah. stage to say, well, we want to grow, we want to get bigger, but who do we represent and what are we trying to say? And we, I mean, and you're trying to be everything to everybody, and, which happens too. And, and I mean, as an ordinary member in the organization, you know, five or six years ago, we didn't even know what we're trying to say. So mm. we're sitting there saying, well, we've got five different types of election posters. They all have different messages. One week we're in this community saying this, next thing. Yeah. And it was a bit messy. But I think we've got to a stage now we've said, okay, well, that didn't work. You know, that, that clearly that's, that didn't work. Let's represent a solid center of South Africa, 30, 35% of people. Um, and what do those South Africans want? They want us to be able to have tough conversations. They want us to be rational. Why would you limit yourself to only the 35%? For now. I mean, you, first of all, I don't think South Africa is ever going to have another 50% party. Um, I think that's just the nature of the way that we've set up our democracy unless we change how we elect our electoral system. By Not, the way, does that mean you're happy to work with anybody? Because if the electorate decide that you must operate as, as premier, let's say, with uh, the EFF, uh, that this does complicate because you've got to have principles and and rules in place <laughs> for yourself too. And, yeah, and yeah. The, the DA famously says, oh, we won't work with these people, we won't work with those, but we will work with these. So it's it's tough. No, it is tough. I'm, uh, no, we won't work with everyone. Um you, you don't want to work with people who don't believe in the same thing as you or fundamentally their values aren't the same. So you can disagree on 5% of the stuff. With, you can't have a, uh, you know, dinner with cannibals is what you're saying. Yes. I mean, you, you can't, uh, I mean, our, our, our biggest <laughs> enemy, if you want to call them that, the EFF, yeah. um, our opponent. Um, no, no, there's nothing wrong with the word enemy. We don't use it <laughs> yeah, enough. No, in, we don't use no it enough in, these in days. Politics. There are uh, no enemies in politics. So, I mean, because the, truly, there are opponents, um, but politics should be about delivering to the people. And what that means is that sometimes you're going to have to agree on particular things with people you disagree with in order to deliver. Of, of course. All right, but I interrupted you. You, you were going to say enemy, you changed it to opponents and we got sidetracked. But <laughs> what were you going to say about them? So, so here's an example. So if you have an organization who believes in nationalizing public assets, who believes in who don't who don't believe in property rights, which mm. is you know the basis of what yeah. we believe the economy is on. Sure, they believe on extreme polarizations to a point where they sing songs about killing other people. Yeah, you know, how how do you then justify going into a partnership with them? Because that's what it is. A coalition is an agreement, a partnership. You and I are our friends. We you know we don't doesn't necessarily mean that we live in the same house, but great. How, how do you how do you justify that? But you can say to someone who maybe believes in something a little bit different to yours, um, to say, okay, well, this issue here we differ. When we discuss that, we'll discuss that. Generally, we're going in the same direction. We want a free market economy. We believe in the constitution. We want property rights. We want uh, the rule of law. We want equality. You know those sorts of things. So, okay, our our car is moving in the same direction. Mm. So we can jump in and, and drive there. And when we have a disagreement, we'll get out and relook at the map. You know, but with the EFF, you're going opposite directions. You, you know, I, I mean, we, we, we've spoken about this on the show before. The fact that the horseshoe way in which Parliament sits and the fact that on the extreme ends, right, right next to each other is the EFF and the FF. <laughs> and we have a very real and practical example where those two parties who on paper look like polar opposites actually voted together on the issue of expropriation without compensation to defeat what was sitting in parliament for very different reasons, but voted together and therefore it did not pass, right? But, but cha so, change the way you've said it. They didn't why? vote together. <laughs> it looks, but because the EFF and the FF voted in the same way mm. together, not with each other, together, the bill did not pass. Their motivations were different. And that's why I say they sit next to each other, even though they are on the extreme ends of the spectrum. That's all I'm saying. But with the few minutes that we have left, mm for those people who may not have seen your social media, who may not know what you have been doing in Umgeni, you have an opportunity to tell a young person sitting in 
Nyanyatu, where my dad is from, why they must vote for you for premier next year. Okay, remember where they're from. They're going to speak Afrikaans. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, at least you can do this. Um, so we are, we have a very difficult choice to make. We can continue the way that we've been going or we can make some sort of fundamental change in the direction and the way our country is governed. We're talking about our province now, KZN. The power to do that is not with me. I can give a powerful speech. I can knock on as many doors. The power to do that lies in your dad's hands. Your dad needs to decide if he wants to be a part of creating something different or if he wants to be a part of endorsing because that's what is endorsing the same. I Yaffi, want you to talk to I'm young landing. people. Oh, your dad's not young. Oh. Yeah, my dad's not young. That's <laughs> why I said to you, <laughs> if you're talking to a young person okay, no, that's in different. the same place where my dad is from, Enyanyadu, today, so if you're talking to a Wandile Kupeka. Cool. So this is my message to Wandile. Wandile, if you are a young black South African, the likelihood of you being employed before you are 60 is less than 50%. So get comfortable being unemployed, sitting at home and relying on the state because nothing is going to change unless you make a change. The way that you make it change is by deciding who best represents your future. And that is what voting is about. It's about deciding what comes next. So as a young person, decide what comes next. Do you want to be unemployed for the foreseeable future? Or do you want to be able to take back ownership of your life and create that change? Because no one else is going to do it for you. No one else can do it for you. Only you can do that. All right. We're going to have to wrap it up at that point, but it's lovely to have you here. I know that you're very seldom in Johannesburg because you've got work to do in uh, Umgeni, and I wish you well for the, uh, the the election coming up. Thank you, sir. Um, I think that there's a lot for us to chew on here. Um, I hope we'll talk to you again soon. And uh, really, it's it's just it's great to see people making things happen. Thank you, and thank you for having me. It was great to be here. Your have people, I- you're making things happen. All right, thank you, Chris. Uh, here's Carl DeSantos says, this Chris Pappas is a gift sent from God. <laughs> oh, goodness. Th- thank you. Thank you, Carl. So people are jumping straight into that. You're, divine, you're divinely sent to it. All right, love it. All right, Carl, calm down. Everybody calm down. All right, everybody, we'll see you uh, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Just thank don't you for forget, me. people, it's now 9 o'clock. We've got an yeah. hour and a half. We're praying for a monsoon in Calcutta. Yeah, you just want to win the cricket, I understand. <laughs> when she said that earlier, I thought, what a mean thing to do to the people of Calcutta. All right, very good. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Cheers. Thank you, Chris. Cheers, cheers. Cool.